Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's the question that is before us this morning. That's the question that the Apostle Paul asked. And he didn't leave it to chance in terms of answering that question. He very quickly pivots in verse 2 of Romans chapter 6 and says, Certainly not. How can we who died to sin live any longer in it? So he says, he asked this question, if, if we can, should we continue in sin to make grace just abound more and more to the glory of God? And to fully understand that, you might want to read a few verses in Romans chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Turn in your Bibles there, please. Romans, the fifth chapter, verses 19 through 21. Romans chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Making the comparison between Adam And Jesus, Paul says by inspiration, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, that's a reference to Adam, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous, that's a reference to Jesus. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might, listen to this word, abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so he says this is a comparison between Adam. Through Adam came sin. Through Adam came death. Through Adam came the curse. And then on the other hand, you have Jesus. And through Jesus came eternal life. And he said, when the law entered, the law which defined what sin was, the law that educated us on all the things that we do that are contrary to God's will or fail to do that God wants us to do. He said, when the law entered, sin abounded. But grace abounded that much more. And it's against that backdrop that he says, well, if that's the case... If it's the case that when law entered, sin abounded, but when grace enters through Jesus Christ, uh, grace abounds that much more. Should we just continue to sin and that'll just make grace abound more and more and more? And that's a wonderful thing, right? (laughs) Certainly not. How we who died to sin live any longer in it. And you may say, well, that's a silly question. Why is he asking that question? I mean, it's an obvious question. Does it even need to be addressed? What, why would Paul? It's, it's, the, it's the straw man. You know, sometimes we do that. We, we erect these arguments. They're not real arguments. They're oversimplified. We knock them down and then we pound our chest saying, look what we've done. That's what Paul is doing here. There's no real controversy. Hold on. Hold on. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Romans the third chapter, verses 5 through 8. Romans the third chapter, verses 5 through 8. The Bible says this, but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, verse 8, Let us do evil that good may come. As we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. Paul says, well, wait a minute. Uh, If I'm unrighteous, then my unrighteousness 
when I compare that to God and what he's done for us, just demonstrates how righteous God is. And so when you compare the unrighteousness of man with the righteousness of God, it leads to the glory of God. But then he says, well, if that's the case, should it be that that God really shouldn't get mad at me when I do wrong? Should God get upset with me when I sin? Because in actuality, when I commit unrighteousness, God just looks better in his righteousness. So why don't I just sin so that good may come? Let me do evil so God gets more glory. And did you notice that he said there were some who were slanderously saying these things about Christianity? Remember, we asked the question in Romans 6, 1, is this a straw man? Is this just a made up controversy? Is this just a made up argument? No, no, we see right here, there were people, there were Jews who were attacking Christianity on this grounds. In essence, they were saying this. Hey, have you heard about this grace doctrine that Paul is teaching? This grace doctrine, have you heard about this? See, see Paul believes That through this thing called grace, through Jesus, that you can just live any old way you want to. You can just sin as much as you want to. You can fornicate. You can commit adultery. You can lie. You can be covetous. You can do whatever you want to. And guess what? Grace will cover it all. Grace just abounds more and more. Those guys are not serious. He knows better than that. He was raised better than that. You see, it was an attack against Christianity, saying that you people don't believe in obedience. You people don't take pleasing God seriously. You people don't take righteousness and doing righteousness with the seriousness it demands. All you do is you rely upon grace. And grace is your answer to everything. Now, notice what Paul says about that. Look at verse 8 again from Romans 3. And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? As we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. I've heard people teach verse 8, that last section, and some people have said that what he's saying is the people who are slandering him, the people who are saying untrue things about him, they ought to be condemned. They are deserving of condemnation. I don't think that's what he's saying. What Paul is saying is, We are being slanderously reported as saying, let us sin that good may come. And he's saying, you know, if that were true, that criticism is valid. If that's what I'm preaching, if that's what I'm teaching, if we're going around saying, let's just sin as much as we can, because ultimately God is glorified. Because when you compare our unrighteousness to his righteousness, he just gets more glory. He says, if that's what we're saying, if that's what I'm preaching, if that's what I'm teaching, you know what? They've got a point. But the problem is, that's not what I'm teaching. And that's not what I'm preaching. Because that's why he says it's slander. When you slander someone, what does that mean? You've said something about them that's not true. And so he's saying, this is not what I'm teaching. There's a very serious controversy in his day. And I want to suggest to you folks, it's a serious controversy in our day. This relationship between grace and obedience is still in play today. Now, here's the irony of it, though. And I want to illustrate it with a a vignette that I may have shared here once before. I remember being in school and talking to a good friend of mine. And he was uh, a religious person, 
He recalled himself a Christian. And he was talking about his wife, who also was a, a Christian according to him. He, he said that, you know, we were discussing this biblical topic. And we were going back and forth about what the Bible says on this thing. And my wife was getting so worked up about it. She's getting really agitated and, and really worried and trying to figure out, you know, what does this verse said? And, and, and I just had to stop her, Kevin. I had to correct her, Kevin. I had to remind her, you know, after all, we are under grace. Now listen to that for a second. What's, what's my friend saying? What was he saying to his wife? He's saying, we don't have to get so worked up about getting into the weeds of what the Word of God says. We don't have to get so worked up about exactly what God is telling us to do and not do. Why? We don't have to get so exercised about that. Why? Because we're saved by grace. In other words, grace eliminates the need for obedience. It's not that important. And I'll suggest to you, friends, a lot of religious people, a lot of people who wear the name of Christ believe this very thing. Embrace it. That that grace means we just don't have to try that hard. You don't have to worry about getting everything correct. You don't have to worry about studying and making sure you understand the will of God. You don't have to uh, worry about being faithful in obedience. No, 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 no. We're saved by grace. And if we're saved by grace, we don't need to worry about that. Now, you know what's ironic about that? If you were to take these critics, the Jewish critics of Christianity... And you were to transport them to today. And they were to hear what a lot of Christianity is saying. You know what those Jewish critics of Paul, of his grace doctrine would say? They would say, I told you so. (laughs) They would say, this is exactly what we were talking about. People wearing the name of Christ saying, it doesn't matter how we live. It doesn't matter whether we cheat on our wife. It doesn't matter whether we're honest or not. What matters is this grace. It is ironic that people wearing the name of Christ are essentially giving the critics of Christianity all the ammunition they need. But you know what? I'm going to switch it up on you. We like them preaching, don't we? We like them preaching. We want to talk about them and they and those out there. It's almost like it's a spiritual pep rally. Yeah, Kevin, confirm that we're right and they're wrong. Not doing any of them preaching this morning. We're talking about me and we're talking about you. Because even though none of us would say that we believe we can just continue in sin, that grace may abound. None of us would say that. But I wonder... At some level, do we believe that when we as Christians have not grown for years? At some level, do we believe that when there's this sin that we have in our lives, we've been struggling with it for years and we haven't gotten any better with it. It continues to trip us up time and time again. We haven't won and fought any of those battles. I wonder if at some level we have bought into that when we know and we say to ourselves, I don't teach enough. I'm not sharing the gospel with people like I should. We know that. Our own words condemn us and we don't get any better at it. We go day after day and we don't do any teaching. When we don't control our anger, when we don't control our tongues, when we come haphazardly, when we dress immodestly, when we use uh, a profanity and yet we're Christians and we come. At some level, do we believe, let us continue in sin, that grace may abound? Do we think grace is a license to sin? 
Do we think we're fine because we've been baptized into Christ and it just doesn't matter and God's not going to require obedience in all the particulars? I want us to ask the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Let's answer that question. First of all, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? For those who understand what we did when we obeyed the gospel, the answer to that question is clearly no. Look at Romans 6, 2 through 15. It's amazing to me how we have died to sin. We have fundamentally transformed our relationship to sin. And Paul talks about that in Romans 6. And it's funny, the central point of that is baptism. Is baptism. Romans 6, 2 through 15. Let's read. What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know this? Many of us, as we're baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, but for you're not under law, but you're under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Paul very beautifully addresses this question of what is the relationship between grace and obedience? What's the relationship between grace and sin? And he says, do you not realize, do you not know that when we obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, we died to sin? That's it. Here you got these critics saying, oh, you're over there waving the grace banner as an excuse for sin. And Paul says the very opposite. Just as Christ died, the old man that was given to sin, the old man that let sin reign in his or her body, that man is dead when we are buried with Christ in baptism. That's baptism. You know, for those who say, well, baptism, it's not a big deal. It's not necessary for salvation. It's just an outward sign of inward faith. Tell them to read Romans 6. Notice it's a fundamental change. Before that, we're given to sin. We're slaves of sin. Now we've been liberated. He says, we are to walk in newness of life. What is newness of life? That's obedience, folks. That's righteousness, God's righteousness. He said, don't present your members. Don't present your hands, your arms, your legs, your tongues, your mind. Don't present those as members of unrighteousness. But present them as members of righteousness to God. In other words, use your body. Use your capabilities. Use your tongue. Use your mind. Use your hands. Use your legs in a way that's consistent with God's will and will bring glory to Him. How dare people say that grace is a license to sin? And then He says, to hit it again, shall we sin just because we're under grace and not law? He said, that was the question again that my friend had it wrong on. He thought, well, we're under grace. So it doesn't really matter how serious we are about our Bible study. 
It doesn't really matter if we get the word of God right. It doesn't really matter if we do what it said. He said, certainly not. Again, emphatically. There's been a fundamental change. We've given up sin. I think when we talk to people about the plan of salvation, we need to be serious about this. We, we don't need to present it as a one-time thing. You know, you had your spiritual bath, you got rid of your sin, and then going your merry way, you got your a clean conscience, and everything's fine. No, there's a fundamental change in your life. There's a transformation. You're not going to be that person anymore. That's why he said the old man. It's just as Christ was crucified on that cross, the old man is crucified in baptism. And guess what? If you're not baptized, what doesn't happen? You don't have that crucifixion. You don't have that raising to newness of life. You don't have that presenting your members as instruments of righteousness. That's the importance, one of the many importances, of baptism. That if we understand that, then the answer to the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, is obvious. No. Second point. When we obeyed the gospel, we crucified ourselves. Look at Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Galatians, the second chapter and verse 20. When we obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, we crucified ourselves. The Bible says this, Galatians 2.20, Galatians, the second chapter, the 20th verse, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I think this is one of the most radical passages in the Bible. One of the most radical passages in the Bible. For those who think Christianity is just get dunked in water, come out, come to a few services from time to time, keep people off your back, uh, give the optics of being faithful. He says, no, let me tell you what I have done. It's not unique to Paul. He says, I have crucified myself. He said, when I live, when I make decisions about how I spend my time, When I make decisions about how I spend my money, when I make decisions about how I interact with other people, when I make decisions about what I think about and how I dress, all of those decisions are dictated by Christ. Christ lives in me. I'm gone. It's no longer what does Paul want to do with his life. It's no longer how does Paul want to spend his time. Do we understand how radical that is? Christianity is not a part of our lives. It is our lives. We've got too many people who play church. It's just a part of it. It's just something I do. I go to work, I go to school, I go to the ball games, go to my recreation, and I go to church. And Paul says, no. Your life, with you in control, doing what you want to do, is done. It is over. Do you think about that? You know, for the Christian, in some ways, when you make that decision, everything else is a lot easier. You know, people struggle with... What's my purpose in life? And young people struggle. What, who am I? What am I supposed to be? You obey the gospel. Those questions are answered. It's just a matter of finding out more and more about the will of God so you can add to what you've been doing. But it is radical, folks. As he goes on in Romans 6 to talk about, we're slaves of God. And, and a slave, historically, a slave didn't get up in the morning and say, ah, I wonder what I want to do today. What's, what's on my schedule? What, what's on my agenda? What do I want to do with my resources and my money and my time? Uh-uh. The slave asked one question. What is the will of my master? That's it. So we have to ask ourselves, do we agree with that? If we've been baptized into Christ, that's what we said. That's why I say it's radical. Everything 
We give up ourselves. In fact, look at Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Not only when we obey the gospel do we crucify ourselves, but when we obey the gospel, we hide ourselves in Christ. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Colossians, the third chapter, 3, 1 through 3. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How, he, how can we who died to it live any longer in it? Colossians 3, 1 through 3. The Bible says, if then you were raised with Christ... If then you're raised with Christ. Now, you may say, what does that mean? What does it mean to have been raised with Christ? Well, in fairness, you would have already read Colossians 2, 11 through 12. So let's read that real quick. In him, you're also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism. Now listen to this. In which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And so when he says, if then you're raised for Christ, if then you have obeyed the gospel, if then you have been baptized into Christ, because that's when you're raised up. He says, if that's the case, he says, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Now listen to verse 3. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When we obeyed the gospel, we died. It's no longer about our individual personality. It's about Jesus. Jesus living in us. We're supposed to be so full of Jesus that people don't see us anymore. They just see Jesus. What does, what does Jesus look like in the form of a housewife who's homeschooling her children? That's what you're supposed to be. What does Jesus look like if he's the owner of a pharmacy and a pharmacist. That's what you're supposed to be. What does Jesus look like if he is a high school or she is a high school teacher at Hoover High School? That's what we're supposed to live. It's supposed to be Christ living in us. When people see us, when people interact with us, they better not see us. They better see Christ. They better see actions. They better see words. They better see clothing. They better see thoughts or hear thoughts that are consistent in all respects with what the Bible says, with the teachings of Christ. We are hidden with Christ. But not only that, when we obeyed the gospel, we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord. I want to emphasize, Lord, you've got a lot of folks out there who want Jesus Christ as their Savior. But there are also a lot of folks who don't care much for having Jesus as their Lord. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Matthew, the seventh chapter, verses 21 through 23. And obeying the gospel, we accepted Jesus as our Lord, meaning that we must obey his teachings. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. One of the scariest passages in the Bible. Because when we talk about these people that Jesus says, depart from me into eternal damnation. He's not talking about people hooked on drugs. He's not talking about murderers. He's not talking about terrorists. You know what he was talking about? He's talking about religious people. And not just bench warmers either. 
These are religious people that were doing things. They were casting out demons. They were doing many wonderful works. They were prophesying in his name. And Jesus says, not only do I not know you now, I never knew you. You weren't one of mine. You weren't doing what I authorized. I don't know what you thought you were doing, but you weren't doing my will. And he's saying that to religious people. And so don't just think, I'm religious. I'm a spiritually minded person. Therefore, I'm okay. There were some religious people right there that got a rude awakening on Judgment Day or will get a rude awakening on Judgment Day. We've got to accept him as our Lord. What does that mean? To do what God says. Look at Hebrews 5, 9. Hebrews, the fifth chapter, the ninth verse. In obeying the gospel, we accepted Jesus as our Lord. We do what he says. Hebrews 5, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. And having been perfected, he, a reference to Jesus, he became what? The author of eternal salvation. Okay, who, to whom is he the author of eternal salvation? To all who obey him. You want Jesus to be the author of your salvation. By the way, he's the only author of salvation out there. (laughs) No other way to get salvation except through Jesus. You want that? Then you need to be in that last category, the two part. All who obey him. And notice that was not those who once obey him, who used to obey him, who sporadically obey him, who every now and then obey him, who obey him when it's convenient with them. And when they line up with the Lord and they agree, it says to all who obey him, unqualified, present tense. You want Jesus as the author of your salvation? Very simply, are you obeying him? Are you obeying him? Religious people want to bury obedience as if it's a shameful thing. And we see over and over again, God says it's a necessary thing. We have to do this. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, the second point. For those who love the Lord, the answer to that question is obvious. You know, Jesus taught John chapter 14, verse 15. He taught this, that if you love Jesus, you do what he says. We've got a lot of people who say they love Jesus. A lot of people profess to love Jesus. A lot of people profess to have a relationship with the Lord. But the Lord kind of cuts through all that and says, I tell you what, here's, here's the litmus test. Are you doing what I said? John chapter 14, verse 15. Let's turn over there. John chapter 14, verse 15. And we'll pick up verses 23 through 24 as well. John 14, verse 15. The Bible says, if, this is Jesus now. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then let's jump down then to verses 23 through 24. Uh, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. What does Jesus say? Very simply. Do you love me? He said, "Now here's how I'm going to answer that question. I'm not going to answer by how many times you profess to say it. I'm not going to answer it by how eloquently you say it. I'm going to answer it by one thing. Are you doing my commandments? If you truly love me, then you're going to do what I say. You see this? People, again, the, 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 the people who are so caught up in, in, in a false distortion of grace, they say, you people think that you're going to get to heaven based on your spiritual resume. That's why you're so concerned about it. No, 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 not at all. No. The reason why we're so concerned about obedience, we love Jesus. And if you love someone, you do the things that he wants you to do. That's it. 
There's this confusion if one is serious about obedience, serious about studying the Word of God, serious about knowing what God says, then you must be trying to earn your way to salvation. No! We understand we're saved by grace. We don't run from grace. But you know, grace has some conditions. And we appreciate so much what Jesus did for us. We love Him. And we love Him so much that we live for Him. And if we live for Him, what do we do? We do what He says. That's true of all who claim to be children of God or who are true children of God. In fact, the Bible says this. The Bible says true children of God strive to please God in everything they do. Do we know that? Do you understand that? Everything we do, how we interact with our spouses, how we interact with our teachers at school, how we interact with our employers, how we interact with our employees, how we interact with the government, everything we do, we try to please God. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. The Bible says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. That's our life's work. That's our goal in life. When we wake up in the morning, we ought to be thinking, I want to please God in everything I do. How I drive down the highway. How I get my work done. How I respond to my parents. How I take care of my elderly parents. How I respond to conflict in the midst of marriage. Everything I'm thinking, first and foremost, not worried so much about what everybody else says, what everybody else thinks. I worry about, I'm concerned about God and whether he's pleased with me. And that's the filter through everything is run. We're trying to please him in everything. Look at Romans 12, 1 through 2. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Shall we sin or continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is what? Which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What's he talking about? Present ourselves? To whom are we presenting ourselves? God. And we're not presenting the blood of goats. We're not presenting the blood of bulls. We're presenting ourselves as a sacrifice. Think about that. Again, radical from the world's perspective. Presenting our entire being. We've got to quit thinking about our lives and our time and our goals and our fulfillment and what we... No, no, no. He says your entire existence is to be offered up to God as a sacrifice. And then he goes on to say, and don't get too excited by that, because that's reasonable service. Some versions say rational service. In other words, you don't get a gold star because you present your whole life as a sacrifice to God. He says, that's what you're supposed to do. I mean, think about it. If God gives us life, breath, and all things, if God brought us into existence, if God sent his son to die on the cross so that we can escape the dangers of hell, how are we supposed to respond to that God? With nothing but absolute obedience. Again, we're not talking about playing church here. We're not talking about a part of your life. We're talking about the entirety of your life. We present ourselves as a sacrifice to him. We're trying to please him in everything we do. Third point. 
Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? If we continue in sin, we will lose the very salvation we once enjoyed. Say that again. If we continue in sin, we will lose the very salvation we once enjoyed. You know, children of God, we can't be children of God and walk in darkness. We can't have one hand with God and one hand with the world. We cannot be faithful and in good standing with God and living in sin. That's what 1 John 1, 5 through 10 tells us. Let's turn over there. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. We continue in sin. We can lose the very salvation we once enjoyed. We will lose that salvation. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. The Bible says this, this is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Did you see what it says? That God is light. There's no darkness in God. And if we're to walk with God, we cannot walk in sin. We cannot live in sin. We cannot be mired in sin. It doesn't work. You can't say, well, I'm a Christian. I've been baptized into the Lord's church and live in sin. He says, you're not walking with him. You're lying. You're pretending to be something you're not. And unfortunately, sometimes in the Lord's church, we have that. We have people who give the outward appearance. I'm faithful. I'm here. I show up. But they're living in sin. And when you're living in sin, don't, don't think God is mocked. You can fool us. We, we may not know. God knows. God can't be fooled. Do we not know that we can be children of God and we can be eternally lost? Let that sink in. Once saved, always saved. It's not true. It's not taught anywhere in the Bible. Look at Galatians 5, 1 through 4. We can be children of God and we can lose that salvation. Galatians, the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 4. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. The Bible says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Now testify again to every man who becomes circumcised. He's a debtor to keep the whole on. Listen to verse 4. You have become estranged from Christ... You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Who's he talking to? You know, when you begin talking about that once saved, always saved is not true, and you try to point out that there are people who were Christians, who were walking with God, and stopped walking with God, then the answer is, well, they were never with God in the first place. A nice little circular argument. They they were never with God. So, So if they ever fall away, they were never truly saved anyway. Notice what he says here. He says, you have become estranged from Christ. Now, last time I checked, if you become estranged from somebody, in order for that word to fit, for that word to work, you have to first have a relationship with that person. I don't become estranged from somebody I've never had a relationship with. 
If I become estranged, that means I once knew them, I once had a relationship, and now I don't. And so the people he's talking to had a relationship with Christ. Now again, lest we think men are so smart they can put one over Christ, they were saved. But then he goes further and says, you have fallen from grace. Now again, same question. How do you fall from something you've never experienced? How do you fall from something you've never been a part of? If you've fallen from grace, guess what? You were in grace. And if you were in grace, you were saved. Again, unless we think men are so smart, they can get one over on God. You know that's not true. So it is possible for children of God, once saved, if they continue in sin, to lose that salvation. And then there's the very sober warning in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 25 through 31. Turn over there. If we as children of God sin willfully, we lose the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Hebrews 10, 25 through 31. Hebrews 10, 25 through 31. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment, listen to this, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is, verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Who's he talking to here? Is he talking about alien sinners? No, he says, you no longer have the sacrifice. If you no longer have something, what does that mean? You once had it. An alien sinner doesn't have the benefit of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He's talking to Christian people. He's talking about children of God. He says, if you sin willfully, if you think you're going to make a mockery of God, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to sin, but, you know, I got grace. I can, I can repent. I can confess later. He says, if you do that, he said, you don't have that sacrifice of Jesus Christ anymore. And if we don't have the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, folks, what is our fate on Judgment Day? We're going to be condemned to hell just like anybody else outside the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a serious thing for Christians to sin willfully. He said, he describes it as trampling the Son of God underfoot. Counting the very blood, the blood of Jesus, a common thing and insulting the Spirit of grace. Do we think about willful sin that way? Jesus died for us. And we're not going to take sin seriously? You know, there have been some folks in my line of work that have had the tragedy of doing things that resulted in the death of others. I can remember a case I had where there was a gentleman, a great gentleman, great guy, a truck driver. And he was driving on the highways, one of those two-lane country highways. And he was coming up on one of those truck passing lanes. You know those, right, where they have an extra lane. So if you, the truck, you're slow on the hill, you can get over and let the traffic pass. And uh, he saw up ahead a truck moving really slow. He was driving his own 18-wheeler. And uh, he thought he could pass it. And there was a car in front of him, but it was Camaro, sporty car. In fact, a couple miles back, this Camaro had blown by him, going well over the speed limit. And so he thinks, all right, well, this is Camaro. you got a slow-moving truck. Camaro's going to pass. I can pass. We'll be done. Well, for some inexplicable reason, 
The Camaro tapped on the brakes and slowed down. And so here you got this truck driver. He's got a decision to make. If he goes to the right, he's going to run into another 18-wheeler with disastrous consequences. If he continues to go forward, he's going to run over this lady in the Camaro. So what's he going to do? He decides to go to the left. Now, it's a two-lane highway, so you've know, got traffic coming the other way. You're not supposed to get over there, right? But there's nobody coming. And this is a split-second decision, and he wants to just ditch his truck. That's the only thing he can do to not hurt anybody except himself. He makes that fateful decision, and about that time, over the hill in the opposite lane, comes another car with two individuals. Hits the truck head-on. Kills him. And you, you, you just can't imagine the sorrow, the guilt that this young man feels, even to this day, that something he did resulted in the death of two people. They will never again to celebrate Christmas. They won't celebrate Thanksgiving. They won't uh, go to their jobs. They're gone. They're done. And it was his actions that led to that. But I don't know if you can relate to that or not, but let me assure you, each and every one of us here is responsible for the death of a man. And that's the man, Jesus Christ. Don't talk about in the abstract. Don't talk about it in general. Talk about it in very personal terms. Your sin, your sin, my sin, is the reason why Jesus died. And the point to be made is that's a serious thing, folks. And if that's the price to be paid for sin, let's get serious about getting sin out of our lives. Let me give you another point. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Not only is there the, 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 the reality of losing your salvation if you continue in sin. There is the risk that you will never, ever come back to Christ before your time is up. You say, what are you talking about? Well, look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hebrews, the 6th chapter, verses 4 through 9. Hebrews 6, 4 through 9. For it's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. And so he says there's a category of people that can get estranged from Christ, that can fall from grace. These are children of God that can lose that, that can get so far out there, they will never come back. Now, what do we know this verse doesn't teach? Well, it doesn't teach that any time somebody leaves the Lord, any time somebody becomes unfaithful, then they won't come back. Why do we know that's not the case? My brother Bob preached about withdrawal not terribly long ago. And you remember from uh, 1 Corinthians 5 and 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15, that one, not the only, but one of the purposes of withdrawal from a disorderly brother is what? That he come to his senses and he come back. So if Hebrews is saying, anytime somebody leaves the Lord, then they're never going to come back, then that completely contradicts 1 Corinthians 5 and 2 Thessalonians 3. And we know the Bible doesn't contradict itself. And so it doesn't mean that. In fact, we have a clue that it doesn't mean that in verse 9 when he makes an analogy that these people are like earth that drinks in the resources that should make it fertile, should make it fruitful, but it bears uh, uh, thorns and briars. He says, but if it bears thorns and briars, it is cursed and not, I'm sorry, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned, whose end is to be burned. What's he talking about? He's talking about eternal damnation. 
He says, these people who fall in this category, they're in, where they're going is eternal damnation. Now look at the very next verse. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. What he's saying is this. If you went back earlier, Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, these Christians had some issues. They weren't growing. They weren't developing. In fact, not only had they not grown, he said, you've been in the faith long enough. You ought to be able to teach Christians. Not only can you not do that, you need to be taught the very first principles of Christ. And he's giving them a warning. He says, if you continue down this road, if you continue down this trajectory, you may find yourself in the position we're talking about here where you won't come back. But then he says, but... We're confident of better things concerning you. In other words, you ain't got there yet. You haven't got there yet. There's still hope. There's still time. But you've got to reverse course on this. Sin is a serious thing. Another point for us. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The very grace that some see as a license to sin actually teaches the opposite. Stop sinning. Look at Titus 2, 11 through 15. Titus 2, 11 through 15. Titus chapter 2, 11 through 15. For the grace of God to bring salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteous, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, Let no one despise you. Did you notice that? Grace teaches. What? No, 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 no. Grace is a license to sin. Grace is our uh, uh, safety net. No, no. Grace teaches. Now, what does it teach? It teaches obedience. (laughs) Did you catch that? Denying ungodliness. That's obedience. Grace. Wow. Grace teaches us to obey. People have a hard time with that concept. And there it is in Titus 2, 11 through 15. Grace doesn't mean, well, shall we sin that grace may continue, that grace may abound because we're under grace? No, the very opposite. Grace says, stop sinning. Redeem yourself from these lawless works. What is that? Redemption from lawless works and living a pure life? That's obedience. Time and time again, the scriptures are telling us obedience is important. Which leads me to my last point. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? We need to get serious about sin. We need to take advantage of all the promises of God, all the tools that he's given us to accomplish that very thing. We need to do so in faith. And yes, every day we need to be eliminating more and more sin out of our lives. Let's get serious about sin, folks. We can do it. First John 2, 1 says, my little children, I write these things to you that you may not sin. That's what we're striving for. And one of my favorite verses of accountability, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, says that with every single sin that ever comes across your path or mine as a Christian, there's a way of escape. Which means we better get serious about sin. Folks, let's stop lying. Let's stop it. Let's stop being deceitful. Let's stop using profanity. Let's stop telling the dirty jokes. Let's stop... uh, Watching whatever we want to watch and listening to whatever we want to listen to. Let's stop being greedy. Let's stop being covetous. Let's stop being materialistic. Let's stop dressing immodestly. Let's stop fornicating. Let's stop being lascivious. 
Let's stop stepping out on our husband or stepping out on our wives. Let's stop being jealous of our brothers and sisters in Christ or people at work. Let's stop being envious. Let's start being kind. Let's start being concerned about others. Let's start reading our scriptures like we should on a regular basis. Let's start being fervent in prayer. Let's start teaching the word of God to the lost around us. Most of us right now probably know a list of things that we need to be doing or that we need to stop doing. And my exhortation this morning is start now. Don't put it off. Don't think that just because you've been baptized into Christ, just because you understand what the Lord's work is and you're in the church of Christ, the Lord's church, that somehow you're exempt. We must be faithful. Sin is a serious thing and we need to put it behind us. The question that Paul began, the question that we began with at the very top of the hour. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Oak Mountain, the answer is certainly not. How can we who died to sin live any longer in it? Thank you for your time and your attention.